he does every time that we come to his word. You know, you see on our board, you know, we have our purpose statement, right? And the very first step in the purpose statement is receive God's love. Originally, in the original purpose statement, we had shortened it. It originally said, receive God's love and word. And then, growing God's love and word. And then, give God's love and word. And then, lead others to God's love and word. Because you need his word. You need to hear him speak. You need his guidance and direction. You need his word. And so we really do believe that, in addition to his love, you need his word. And, you know, we used to always say in ministry, heard it, you know, us who are in ministry and we're leading churches and leading ministries, we used to always say the, the way you reach somebody is what you have to do to continue to keep that somebody you've reached. Have you ever heard that or, or understood that? You, you, can't, you can't like bait and switch. You can't reach them one way and then when they come in, it's something totally different because they came in for a, for a reason. You reach them for a reason. The way you reach somebody, you have to continue to provide if you want to keep that person with you. And I know that sounds kind of, okay, like we've got a con going on or something or, or people are working people just to try to keep them. But what I'm trying to say is, there is some truth to it that we have to get. Um, I can remember the first time I found that to be so starkly true when you're trying to reach somebody for Jesus. I was in college, had a job, I had many jobs. And I was always looking for the job that paid the most with the least amount of hours, right? You know, that's what you do when you're young. So you're willing to do anything. And I was going door to door in LA. Can you imagine that? Door to door in the evenings in LA. Now that was even fun in my day. Let me tell you, I had some fun experiences. Uh, I don't remember, well, I remember I had to run once, but, but outside of that, and, but I had a boss, a young box, a young adult, and he was, you know, looking to break into business and make some good money, and so he got all those young guys, and he had us going door-to-door selling stuff, and um, I remember talking to him one day, and he found out I'd have been involved in Young Life. I go, oh yeah, man, I go, I was involved as a student, then I I was kind of a, a leader as a student, loved it. We, we ended up seeing a lot of our friends come to Christ. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I came to Christ through Young Life. And, and I was thinking, hmm, because he didn't exactly strike me as a believer. Let's just put it that way. And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, and I go, so you still walking with the Lord? He goes, oh no. He goes, I, I found as I got older that that Young Life stuff and, and all that, he goes, it didn't translate into the real world. And I, I went, what? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, you know, it's fun to have fun when you're young and when you're a kid. But when you become an adult, you have real problems and real struggles. And you know what? It just didn't wash in that world. It didn't last. And I went, hold on a second. I go, well, you've got to grow up in your faith. You have to follow Jesus for different reasons than just fun. Or, or just what your, you know, good times or doing something amazing, you've, you've got to have something more real there. And he goes, well, I never found anything more real. And that was that. Never had another conversation with him. I said I would pray for him, but we never had another conversation. I don't know where he's at with Jesus in this day. But he had just said, no. Because the way you read somebody, you've got to continue to deliver to keep them. 
His faith was built on a very flimsy foundation. There's nothing wrong with having fun. <clears throat> not, nothing wrong with having a good time. Come on. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's not, nothing wrong with great experiences. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things. But <clears throat> your life's got to be built on something else or something stronger to see you through, don't you? How does the good news of Jesus, how does Jesus himself, how does it infiltrate and penetrate into a person's life, into a family, into a community that's never had any knowledge of him or that he exists? How does he infiltrate? How does that good news come? My family was one of them. You know, I was the first one in my family line to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it changed everything. But I was the first. How'd that happen? Because I had so many barriers to that. So it was, it was a hard road to get there. How do, you, how do you reach a person with the gospel when they don't even think they need to be saved? I mean, they don't think, oh, I don't need to be saved from my sins. I mean, come on. I don't have a desire to be saved or changed. I love how I'm living. It's okay to work for the weekend and party hardy every day. Come on. This is a great life, and I'm loving it right now. How do you reach them? How do you reach them? How do you get people who don't go to church where they can experience or learn about Christ, how do you get them to want to listen to you and to learn about him? Because there are people that need that. How do you get people to want the one and only Lord when they're comfortable and satisfied with all the substitute lords that they've already had? And people have many. And so they look at you and go, eh, it might be good for you, but it's, it don't mean much to me. How do you infiltrate? Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that people, young and old, they need to know and they need to experience the Lord and what he has to offer them. Doesn't he? Yeah. He needs to, they, they need to experience the Lord and that he is offering them and that he is someone better, truer, more powerful than the ones they have. And unless they see that, <clears throat> that he's more powerful, truer, and better than the ones they had, they have, they're not going to be interested. They're not going to care. So this morning, what are some of the biblical, time-tested ways to reach lost people with the gospel? Because the Lord is out there reaching people. How did he do it? How did his disciples do it? And how are we to do it so that we turn people to Jesus instead of turning them away from Jesus, and we turn them into followers who follow him as Lord? They don't just follow him as a Savior or believe, oh, I know he exists, but they actually take their, his yoke upon them. They actually respond to his invitation to come. And they accept him. And they follow him. And their lives are changed. little background now to our passage. And our passage will speak to this, this topic. Luke again, as we head today, <clears throat> he takes us back to the story of Peter's evangelistic work. And sometimes the book of Acts bounces. So we've been with Paul, Paul's conversion, and then Paul fulfilling his calling, now we're coming back to Peter, right? <clears throat> and we left Peter back in, in chapter 8, verse 25. And he's gone back to Jerusalem with John, right, at that point. 
Well, now Peter, Peter had come to Samaria in Acts 8 to follow up on the ministry of Philip and to lay hands on people that they might receive the Holy Spirit and to, to kind of bolster and support the church that was brand new there. And then he went back to Jerusalem. Now he's back today on another missionary trip. He's come back, and it appears as if, in some ways, he's following Philip. Because Philip has taken off to these other places that we'll read about, and he's shared the good news with them. And it seems like Peter's coming, and he's just supporting these saints and, and, and helping to organize them and get them working together and helping them to figure out anything they need to be figured out in their ministry to go forward. Because God had called Peter to do what? To shepherd his sheep to feed his sheep. And so Peter is doing that. So, Luke begins this account of Peter's kind of circuit around Judea in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. And, and we're going we're gonna to read about that. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it up and we're going to read God's Word and see. We're going to discover these time-tested ways to reach lost people with the Gospel and turn people who are following other lords to the Lord himself. So we've got a Bible open, starting in verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. So he took off from Jerusalem. He went north about 25 miles, and uh, he's in Lydda. He's on foot. Back then they must have been in better shape than we are, because they're, they're walking everywhere. And so he's up in Lydda. And it says here he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And there he found, as he's doing what he's called to do, there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed. Paralyzed means your arms don't move, your legs don't move, you don't move. He's paralyzed. Because it doesn't sound like he's just paralyzed in two limbs, he's paralyzed in all limbs. He's paralyzed. And he had been bedridden for eight long years. It's a long time. Aeneas, Peter said to him, because Peter is called, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now we know that Luke is just kind <coughs> of, when, when he say everybody turned to the Lord, that means many people turned to the Lord, right? You get that, don't you? Many people came to the Lord. Because there's always somebody who's not going to hear anything and pay attention to anything, right? But many people turned to the Lord. That's huge. That's huge. Let's keep going. In Jaffa, it's, it looks like Jaffa, but it's Hoffa. That's really how you say it, Hoffa. In Hoffa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, and her Greek name was Dorcas. I'd stick with your Hebrew name, Tabitha, wouldn't you? She was always doing good. So she was a great woman, a young woman, always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick, and she died. Because that happens, doesn't it? And her body was washed and placed in the upstairs rooms. Lida was near Hoffa. So when the disciples heard, it was really kind of 10 miles away, maybe 12, so when the disciples heard, okay, where am I? So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. 
What's he going to come for? See, we're trying to figure that out. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, because widows would do that and mourn the dead and help wash and take care of the dead and prepare them for burial. They were all standing around, crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas, like there again, Tabitha, I would say, <coughs> had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and they got down on his knees, and he prayed. That's what he did. And then he turned, turning to the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Hoffa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Hoffa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Man, huge, huge evangelistic push. Huge difference that was made in these two places. And how did it come? How did it come? Right? There are some simple answers, right? But then there are maybe some more nuanced answers, and we want to take a look a little bit of what happened here. How did God use Peter to reach the lost people of these cities so that they heard the gospel message and saw the gospel demonstrated, and they turned to Jesus and they followed him? They turned to him and followed. People who, before that time, were not turned to the Lord and would not follow. But now they have. How'd that happen? And how can you and I be a part of that happening? so that we can be a part of God's work to reach people, because Jesus continues his ministry through us. That's what the book of Acts is about. The movement and ministry of the church, transforming and moving forward and expanding and evolving in its early days, and we're a part of that, because it continued. How can we be a part of reaching these folks and turning them to Jesus to follow him as Lord? Here's the first thing. We simply begin, and I, want, I hope you noticed that, by making contact. Here's your first, your first point, I'm just going to give it to you. By making contact with others, lost people, by obeying your calling. By obeying your calling. You simply make contact with other people that God wants you to be involved in and reach by fulfilling and obeying your calling. Saying yes to Jesus I will do what you're calling and asking me to do. Not just in one moment in time, as God puts some big direction on your life, but in all those moments in time, day in and day out, as the Spirit calls you and me <coughs> to join Him, we obediently respond to that calling. As Peter, he was called to be an apostle and shepherd of God's people. As he fulfilled that calling and visited people in Lydda, he found a needy man. A needy man that God wanted to miraculously heal. This was one man we read about. There may have been a lot of others who were sick and other things. We don't know whether they were healed or weren't healed. But God wanted to heal this one man. And Peter found him. And he found him while he was ministering to other people in the name of Jesus. 
See, that's as he was fulfilling this calling. If we like Peter, if we like Peter who have a faith-filled obedience, if we pursue our calling with faith-filled obedience, then we too are going to make contact with other people. We're going to find opportunities for the miraculous power of God to work through us to meet needs that are around us and to show other people that God is real, to show other people that God knows them and cares about them and that Jesus is the only true Lord to follow. That's going to happen if you are, and you and I are following our calling and follow it day in and day out. And our calling includes things, not just the big stuff. Um, okay, you're called to be shepherd my people. You're called to be an apostle like Peter, right? Peter had those big stuff. It's about the daily stuff we do. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. That to live a life worthy of your calling. And what is that about? It's about growing in Christ so that you can be completely gentle. That you can be compassionate. That you can walk in the truth. That you can get healed emotionally and mentally. That you, you know, it just goes on and on and talks about how to live this life that's worthy of your calling. And it has so many specifics to it. But see, as we obediently follow and walk after that, we prepare ourselves to be used by God and do the miraculous. That's what this, this scripture is telling us. Our mission field can be anywhere that we go if we're obediently walking in our calling. See, it's, it's the perfect foundation for leading other people from pseudo-lords to the one and only Lord when you're following the one and only Lord. But if we're not following the one and only Lord, if we've just taken Jesus' invitation to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, but we, we're not taking on his yoke and learning from him and walking with him, see, we have no power. Because God's going to want to get things right with us first. It's going to diminish our ability. And so then we're going to have to rely on all hosts of other things to try to reach people, and that's probably not going to be very effective in reaching people. So I want you to get that, because it's so important. Peter joined the Lord in healing a paralyzed man in Lydda. That's what he did. And then he went to Hoffa, and he didn't know what he was really going to do. Is he going to console a church? Is he going to... Um, help them figure out what to do with a prominent member or how to go on from losing her ministry in the church? What was he going to do? The Lord said, you're going to raise her back to life. <laughs> wow. What a calling. What a calling. God may ask you to do that too. Is Jesus your Lord? Can he ask you to do these kinds of things that they did? Can he ask you to bring healing and to bring help and to even raise people from the dead? Can, he ask, can you allow him to ask you to do that? I know there was a time in my walk with the Lord where I would just say, God, don't put me in those situations. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to fail. I like to succeed. I'm competitive. I want to win. And I was overly concerned when I was early in the Lord about whether I would win or not if I stepped out on those limbs. And, and so I, I was having to work in building my trust in the Lord. Thank God it soon came. 
Thank God it soon came. So, so Dorcas, and I want you to get something too. This is the other part of it. I'm, okay, Tabitha, we're going to call her that because I like that name better. Tabitha wasn't raised for her own sake. Do you notice that? She wasn't raised for her own sake. She would have enjoyed heaven better. You better know if I die and go to heaven, don't be praying me back here. Don't be grabbing me, hey, come get him. We washed his body and we're sitting here and we want him to come back. No. <laughs> uh-uh. Right? You wouldn't either. I mean, it's like, come on. But she was raised for the sake of her ministry to others. Put that in your notes. That's a good little sidebar. She was raised for the sake of her ministry to others. See, that's the, that's the same reason you and I have passed from death to life. See, God's a giver. And we were created for a purpose. We, we are God's creation, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has, has called us and prepared us for in advance to do. And those works aren't just works. They're, they're just the way we are and the way we love and who we are. And so she was brought back for the sake of others, and you or I are called, and we have a ministry because of that too. Your ministry, my ministry, your calling, my calling matters. Are we available for God's, God's leading in our lives? It matters. You know, I started jumping into my second point. Can you believe that already? Man. The first time-tested uh, time tested, uh, thing that we were to do to follow Jesus or to be able to reach people is to follow our calling. And the second one is this. We are to be available for sovereign ministry appointments. To go to the people God has called us to and to actually find the opportunities that we have there. That's what we're to do. Wow. You know, Peter didn't simply try to, to do as Jesus did. Peter had submitted his life to Jesus as Lord now. He wasn't trying to tell Jesus anymore what, what he should do or how he should do things like he had been in Matthew 16, 22 at the cross, right? Now Peter was letting Jesus lead. And that's what Peter was doing when he knelt down and prayed. And then he declares to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And before he commanded Aeneas that Jesus Christ heal you, he said to him, get up and roll up your mat, make your bed. Will you respond to what I command? And he was available. He was available to that. Both for Tabitha and Aeneas, he was available for those defined divine appointments. You and I have divine appointments as well. You and I are called to do certain things that we don't know about until we get there. Are we open to these divine appointments? Wow. Wow. Are we open? Well, here's the third point. As believers in the church, we have all sorts of strategies to reach people all sorts of strategies to open up people's minds and hearts to the Lord and to Jesus. And I want to just talk about some of those strategies that we employ in the church. And these strategies aren't necessarily bad. They have a place, and they're good. 
So don't, don't throw them out with the bathwater, so to speak. But think about it. We generously share and give to meet people's practical needs for clothing, food, and shelter, don't we? We do that a lot as the church. We entertain people in our ministry. We provide relevant programming uh, to meet their, their need for learning and fun and laughter. And, and thus we remove barriers that are in place that keep people from accepting truth or growing or fellowshipping with each other. So we regularly do that kind of stuff. And these things we can do, right? And we can do them with only a little wisdom and, and, and will to do them and goodwill in our hearts. These good works matter. And they have a place in the church and they have a place in our outreach to the lost. They do matter. We do those things. But if you're like me, or many people, or if you're a hard person, or if you're trying to reach a skeptical world, you need, you need more than, than the generosity of people. You need more than just entertainment. You need more than somebody just being relevant to you. Wouldn't you agree? You need more. Right? You need to experience and see power in action that's greater than the power you have. You need to see, if you're going to tell me that Jesus lives, I have to be able to see or experience for myself this resurrected Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. I had to. I had to know he was there. I had to know that there was somebody there, and I had to, I had to get in a, in a process and on a path of trusting him before I was going to believe. In our passage, we have two different people, and they're living in communities who largely follow other lords, and they have little knowledge of Jesus, just like some of us. We have had little knowledge of the message of God. Now, wouldn't you agree that these two people, Aeneas, this man who'd been paralyzed for eight years, and then Tabitha, a woman who's dead, don't you agree that their conditions are great obstacles for change? Right? Their conditions are great obstacles for change. For somebody to believe that they could experience change, and these were, you would say, um, nah. they're not, you're, you're going to have a hard time transforming their lives. Right? And it'd be hard to believe that their lives could be transformed. Or their lives could be changed. Were there some of you that people would have said, oh no, they're hard cases. Shoot. The, they're great obstacles for change. And they looked at you and said you were it. I was one of them. Nope. Kelly's not. Because he's too stubborn. He's too this. He's too locked in sin. He's too that. He's not going to just do that. No. And they probably felt the same about you. So I'm here to tell you something. You can throw enough money at their condition. You can't throw enough money at their condition to change them. Can you? A man who's been paralyzed for eight years and a woman who's dead, how much money can you throw at it and make a difference? You can't. You can't. And some of you, you can't throw enough money at you or give you enough generosity for you to change. You're just going to say thank you. Keep it coming. Right? So, so money is not going to be the answer. And you can't give enough compassion or wisdom to turn their situation around. 
no matter how much you serve them, no matter how much you love them, no matter how much you take care of them, they're not going to change. Come on, you have family members like that. I do too, and maybe we were like that. So it's not going to turn it around. And you can't entertain or offer enough fun experiences or learning opportunities to transform their lives and bring them back to life from a hopeless and dead state. You can't do it. You ever see that Seinfeld where Jerry's trying to do his bit to his friend who's dying, right? And then he dies. And, you know, because he's trying to cheer him up. Sometimes we're, we're trying to do that. We've got these dead people we're trying to reach, and we're trying to entertain them. We've got these dead people we're trying to reach, and we're trying to teach them. And they don't care one bit what we have to say. We've got these dead people, spiritually dead people, and we're trying to give to them. And, we're, 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 and you know what? We mean well. We're trying to give our money. We're trying to give our compassion. But it doesn't make a difference. People don't change. They're not transformed. It's, it doesn't make any difference. You know why that is? Because dead people need something else other than that. Right? They do. Paralyzed people need something else other than that. Amen? They need healing power to change. They need the power of new life to change. And if you don't have that, well, okay, you're not going to be effective. And, and, if, and we know that Jesus has that. Amen? Jesus got healing power. Jesus has power of new life. Jesus is risen from the grave. Jesus is filling us through his Holy Spirit. So Jesus can minister those things through us to other people. Because he, he did it through Peter. And he wants to do it through us. Wow. I want you to know that my first experience of Jesus healing through my prayers, I'm just going to tell you, it was a bit of a rocky road, right? I was a person of faith. I believed the Lord was there. I had to ask him to reveal himself. You've heard that snap in the air. I knew God was there. And then I had to figure out, okay, who is this God? And I figured out it was Jesus. And then I had to figure out, how do I come into relationship with this Jesus? And I figured that out and did, and I surrendered my whole life to him as Lord. I, I knew that he died. He was my Savior. He died for sin, but I had to receive him as Lord because that's what happens when you're saved. And I received him as Lord in my life, and I received his spirit within me, and my life was transformed. It was changed. But I'm new, and I'm walking with Jesus, and within the first year of my faith, I'm sitting here, I'm going along, stretching like young people do, you know. When you get older, you don't get on the floor much. But now, but when I was young, I got on the floor all the time. And here I am in my front room stretching, because I worked out a lot then. I don't really work out that much now, but I was stretching. And my mother had been going through a really hard time. I'm just going to keep it short. She was suffering with pain that could not be relieved, and the doctors could do nothing to help her. They couldn't figure out quite the source. They couldn't give her anything that was good enough to work, and she was suffering and had been suffering. And so she shows up into the kitchen that evening while I'm stretching, and she goes, I can't take it. And my mother was just a tough woman. 
She goes, I can't take it. I, I don't want to take it anymore. This has got to end. I am just dying. And she's there, and she's at her wit's end. She's at the slumped at the table, leaning over. And I'm laying out there, and I'm praying for her. I said, Jesus, help her. I go, Jesus, do something for her. And the Lord said, if you pray for her, I'll heal her. I go, hold it. What did I do? I go, that's not the Lord. I go, God, I go Lord, did you just say, if, if I pray for her, you heal? if you pray for her, I will heal her. Well, you'd think right away, I go, oh, let's go. No, it was like, okay, God, we've got to have the discussion here. You know she doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. She doesn't believe in you. And you want me to go up there and to lay hands on her and pray for her, and, and that's going to heal her, and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm doing just like some of the believers in our scripture are doing, giving God stuff. And the Lord said, if you'll pray for her, I'll heal her. So I got up like a saint, <laughs> walked into the kitchen. I sat down with her. And me and my mom had a close relationship. I mean, we were dead close. We could talk straight to each other about everything. And I looked at her and I said, Mom, the Lord has just told me that if I pray for you, he'll heal you. Do you believe that? And the poor woman is suffering. Don't know what she was. Oh, yeah, okay. And I go, well, no, you don't. That was my response to her. Well, that's kind of a half-hearted thing. You just said he'd heal you, and what are you doing? You're not really responding the way you should, right? <laughs> I didn't say all that, but I just said, I go, but anyhow, we're going to do what the Lord said we're supposed to do, and God will do the rest. And here I am. You know, I'm not, I'm not skilled in this. I'm sure the Lord is sitting back and going, you know, <laughs> Kind of like It's a Wonderful Life, you know, when they're looking at Clarence. Here's the angel in training. Oh, gosh, please. And Jesus looking at the father going, I, I know, but he's your son, you know. <laughs> okay. So I lay hands on her, and I pray for her in the name of Jesus. And we get done, I say amen. And my mother was very still, and I said, all right, Mom, how do you feel? Nothing. No movement, no anything. Like, Mom, are you alive? <laughs> did you die while we were praying? How do you feel? And she was there, and all of a sudden she goes, it's gone. I go, what? It's gone. She goes, I feel great. So much better. I'm like, well, good. Well, praise the Lord. Well, she wasn't willing to go that route right now or wanting to say that. But she goes, I think I'm going back to bed, and I'll see you in the morning. Got the next morning. I'm up early. I was an early pretty, pretty morning person. She gets up, and she's there, and I go, well, Mom, how do you feel? She goes, feel fine. I go, no more pain? She, and she smiles. She goes, no, no more pain. I go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we went on. My mother accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it was months later, but she did accept him. But that was part of her knowing God's grace. And it was part of me knowing God's grace that God just says, obey me. I do it. You don't really, you don't have to do much. Just do as I ask you to do and be the conduit. And I'll do it. You know, in, in both these instances in our passage today, the powerful healing touch of Jesus had a powerful influence on the community. It did. And word spread. And the door was open for the message of Jesus and for the people to believe in him and turn to him. I wish I could say that happened in my family, 
Um, but it didn't really, because my family could, could um, argue anything away, unless it happened to them, okay? They could argue anything away, including common sense or truth or anything. And so it took more to reach some of my family, but by God's grace, some of them got reached, and some didn't. Um, but this moved. This moved. And I'm just here to ask you this morning, do you feel paralyzed in some way? today. Because you know, sometimes it's not just we're physically paralyzed, but we're emotionally and mentally paralyzed. Do you feel dead today? There might be a part of you that feels dead. Because sometimes we can be walking around alive, but we're dead. Right? Ray Steadman, who's a pastor and author, wrote this about Acts 9. He said, you know, we have a man here with paralysis of the body. For eight years it's held him. Eight years he's been impotent. He's been unable to live life as God intended a human being to live. He's paralyzed. He couldn't move. Because that can happen to our spirits as well. In fact, it does, it does happen to many, and maybe somebody here today, that's your story. You've, you're suffering under the paralysis of the will, the paralysis of your spirit. There are things that you've been wanting to do, knowing that you ought to do them, and for years you have been saying, oh, man, I wish I could do that, or someday I'm going to do that, but you never do do it. You're suffering from paralysis of the will because you're looking to your own resources. Church, let's, let's quit looking to our own resources. person who's feeling a sense of paralysis in your spirit or in your life, quit looking for your own resources. People that feel dead in their faith or are facing people who are dead in their faith, quit looking to your own resources so much. You can't, you can't talk a dead man into life, can you? Though I've tried, literally tried. You cannot do that. I cannot do that, you cannot do that. And maybe you're experiencing paralysis in your life because of that. You've been looking to your own resources. You're expecting that you're going to get some new sensation, new feeling, new motivation, and that's going to be the difference. See, it's not going to. Could there be any, any greater obstacle to faith and change than death? Could there be any greater obstacle to faith or change than death? See, that's what the scripture trying to tell us. This woman was dead. But don't be dismayed, believer who's following the Lord, because God is the God of life. And He can bring dead things back to life. Amen? Jesus is alive. He continues to do His ministry to seek and to save the lost. He continues to make disciples. There is no obstacle big enough to stand in His way or the Gospel's way if we walk with Him. If we take His yoke upon us and learn from Him and obey Him. So, so this morning as I, as I kind of tie this up, healing is going to cause people to get our message. Don't, don't poo-poo the miraculous. People need to hear from the Lord in some way or be touched by Him to believe He's there. 
and he might just do it through a simple prayer. I'm here to tell you that I moved on from my mother, and I've laid hands on a lot of different people, and I've heard words from God, and I've watched them get healed. I've also come to people, and God gives me no direction, and I don't know why. And God doesn't heal them, and I don't know why. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to the Lord. But the Lord loves, and the Lord cares, and the Lord has reasons. But his healing will help people to get the message, I'm telling you. His power movement, him talking, or giving somebody a dream, or a vision, or causing something to jump off the page as they read it, what I'm telling you, people need to touch Jesus, and Jesus needs to touch them. And we've got to pray for that, and look for that, and believe for that. And if we do, we can infiltrate any hard heart, any hard family. We can bring the gospel to any community, and it'll grow. It'll do it. Because it's not about you. It is about you being obedient to your calling. And that's the first thing. We've got to make contact with other people by obeying our calling. So if there's anything where we're not obeying, man, let's repent of it. And let's say yes to Jesus. Because now it's going to make us effective in the kingdom and to reach others that are lost. On top of that, too, are we available for sovereign ministry appointments? We've got to be available. Our, our life is not our own and our schedule is not our own. We have to be available for those opportunities the Spirit leads us in, into. And then, do we believe in the power of Jesus to save? Yes. Do we believe in the power of Jesus to heal? Yes. Do we believe in the power of Jesus to change lives, even dead people's lives? Yes. The scripture shows us so. Well, that's the truth. Let's go get them. Let's go get them. Let's bring the gospel to these closed-off places because no obstacle is big enough to stand in our way. Amen? Amen. On the, in the meantime, let's keep giving. Right? Let's keep being relevant. Even entertaining and having fun sometimes. But let's know that you can't build a house of stone on that foundation. And people need Jesus. And so let's be about praying for those things to help lead us to a place where we can help them see the real deal. And when they find the real deal, they won't walk away very easily. They'll never walk away, actually. Praise the Lord. Stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for your word. It is constantly a light to our way and a lamp to our path. It is constantly showing us. Father, may we be encouraged this morning through the life and ministry of Peter to be able to see that we don't have to be called to be an apostle or a preacher or an evangelist or a teacher to have an effect in the kingdom. We just have to be obedient to our calling. We just have to be following you in faith and allowing you to do your work through us. You can use anyone, no matter our age, no matter our gender, no matter our station in life. You can use any of us. Thank you for that. So, Father, we ask you to use us 
to expand your kingdom, to grow your church, to make disciples, to lead people to you, Lord. That we would be sensitive not just to want your love, but want your word. Not want to just grow in your love, but grow in your word. Not just give your love, but give your word. Not just lead people to your love, but lead them to your word. That sets them free. Lord, this we ask in Jesus' name. And so, Father, as we close too, I pray your blessing over all of our acts of giving. So grateful for the compassion and love of our church family. Bless everyone who's giving in honor of you, Lord, and all the ways that we have to give this season. For this family, we pray you'd bless them, and may these gifts just buoy and lift up their spirits and draw them to you, Jesus. And may you continue to do the miraculous in their lives and do it through us and do it through others that are helping them. Uh, God, put their, their faith firmly on you and your kingdom and bless them and their children, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. God, um, we do also thank you and, and, and praise you for our opportunity uh, to give through Christmas blessing that's coming, for our opportunity to give through Advent reading. God, and our opportunity um, to give through the Christmas wrapping um, and for buying gifts for this family. God, just continue to pour out your grace and help us to be your lights in these situations. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And then we pray today, wherever we can touch others with your power, your healing, your miracle-working power, Father, may we do that obediently in the name of Jesus. And may we do that confidently, Lord. May we grow in that today. Uh, Father, so that we too can have the ministry that the church had in Acts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And then, Father, bless everybody's thanksgiving. Uh, may, may it go well as we gather with family and friends. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen. 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 Sorry, as you